VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It is another rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0, and this one is going to be a lot of fun. On today's show, it is a Hall of Fame edition, as we will talk about the nine elected inductees of this year's Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class. We also have a special guest for you as the Hall of Famer himself, Rudy Tomjanovich, will join us in the middle of the show. But Otto, it is my pleasure to welcome you on. We have a jam-packed show for everyone and something I'm really excited about. Yeah, this is this is gonna be a fun one. I mean, I've I've done a one or two Hall of Fames in the, in the past. It's always a really special event, and there's no doubt that the 2020 edition is going to be extra special uh, with regard to uh, this phenomenal class. But of course, recognizing uh, Kobe Bryant and his accomplishments and achievements. Yeah, it's a nine member class. You know, the headliners are obviously Kobe, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan. Uh, you also have Eddie Sutton, Kim Mulkey, Tamika Catchings, Barbara Stevens, um, and then. Uh, I, I believe Patrick Brahman also got it as well. But, you know, you know, the amazing thing to me, and, you know, you've covered a few of these events. What is it like to cover this event? You know, for people who have never been there, for people who have never experienced, what is it like covering Hall of Fame weekend? It, it, I guess it's, you know, it's basketball's royalty, basically. I mean, it's, it's, it's the who's who of, 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 of basketball. And obviously, as we've said before, it's not just NBA. Uh, you know, it's recognizing you know the, the, the greats uh, you know across across the sport. Um, you know, I, I was just every time, I, and I had the, pre- the the privilege of my first one being uh, 09. and so you know there's the MJ year. So every time you turn around, there's there's you know an, another another star from from my childhood. Was I, and I'll admit I was geeking out a little bit, but but uh, it, it was um, as much it was interesting to see that the. the you know, and hear the stories and hear them, hear them live, to, but to see the interaction with uh, the players and the legends and the coaches, uh, and and how much of a how much of a family that uh, that that exists there that people may not uh, that'd be I guess the one thing people may not know how much of a family and cohesive group uh, that everybody is when they you know come to come together for events like this. Yeah, you know, and that's a good point because there's no other Hall of Fame specifically that incorporates the entire universe of its sport like basketball does, you know, like major league baseball has their hall of fame in Cooperstown, but it's just for professional baseball players that played in major league baseball. You know, the NFL has theirs in Canton, Ohio, but none of them incorporate their entire universe like the Naismith Memorial basketball hall of fame does. How special is that for when you're covering an event and when you're watching an event like that to not only see NBA legends, you know, that you grew up watching, but you know, someone like Eddie Sutton and Kim Mulkey, who built their careers on the college landscape, you know, Eddie Sutton, I believe, was a four-time national coach of the year. Kim Mulkey has multiple national championships at Baylor. And to have them on the same stage as, you know, we're going to see Kevin Garnett. We're 
going to see um, Tim Duncan. How special is that? It's like walking through, I guess the only thing I could say is like walking through a, a living museum, if you will. I mean, it, it, except, you know, the, the, the facility is gorgeous, by the way. If anyone ever has a chance to get to Springfield, Mass., um, it's 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 really beautiful. I have the have had the privilege of of living close by for the last couple of years. So I've gone up on on random days. You know, uh, you know took my wife, took my kids, and we had some some really fun outings there, uh, and seeing all the exhibits. But as far as as the the actual you know induction ceremony goes, you know, so not only are you looking at at the plaques and all of the things that they have inside, but to talk to the people, it's like you know, it's like like I said, it's a living museum, and that's kind of really really kind of special and, and unique that that's that's uh that's that's what uh what this hall of fame does compared to what others do from just a game perspective when you look at this nine member class what's the thing that most sticks out to you um um well for me because of of what i covered and when i covered it it would it would have to be it would be a tie between um you know i covered the the some of the Kobe championships and and um, and then the the KG year in, in Boston. Um, you know when I was down the road, um, I would think I was standing about ten feet away from KG when he anything is possible. I was like literally just a few feet um, off the off the camera when when that when that was said. So that was special. As a Knicks fan growing up, as a younger person, you know I kind of love to hate Rudy T and the and the, and the Houston Rockets. So. So that was special, but I mean, you know, up and down as, and as I got a little older and, and you know, understood more about the history, um, Eddie Sutton, Kim Melke, you know, you could really, really do appreciate what, um, what these legends have contributed to, you know, to the, to the sport. Now I'm curious to know, get your take on, you know, who, who for you is kind of, you know, the ones that you're looking at as, as, uh, you know, getting most excited about. Well, you know, the the thing that I look back on, and I, I don't know if you've thought really much about this, is from a class perspective and from a sneaker perspective, how much these three particularly, you know, when you think about Kobe, KG, and then Tim Duncan, kind of changed the way that the younger generation views basketball and how basketball became a part of their culture all through a sneaker. You know, the, the Kobe shoes were so popular for so long. And then KG, whether it's from, you know, um, posters and things that you had on as well and the, the tenacity that they played with they all three represented something different and it, it was so much fun to watch but just from a sneaker perspective and enjoying that culture of it i don't know if there's another class that represents that aspect of the game that has evolved so much like these three have yeah no i guess we'll probably have to wait until uh whatever year lebron goes in and maybe that maybe something there <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be a big one right when, uh, yeah but in my, in my, in my, uh, so the mag had a, a, a team that we got together every, you know, once a year, we did a, played in a charity event in New York city. And so, uh, one year I forgot my shoes, you know, ESPN, obviously based in, based in Bristol. And I forgot my shoes. I actually run out, uh, in midtown Manhattan, get some shoes and day of, and the ones I, I picked up were, were ones some of the, the uh, twos? what's that? Did you buy the T-Mac twos? No, no, no. I, I was, I, I bought the Kobe's. About ah, the Kobe's, they were, they were red, red, and, red and black. Um, yeah, I, I forget. You know, obviously the, the snake mamba, you know, design on the shoe. And um, I, I played my best game that day. Took two charges. I don't think I scored, <laughs> but I took two charges. <laughs> and you were probably the only person in that game that actually took a charge, right? You were there, huh? I, I, <laughs> you saw me. <laughs> I'm just saying, nobody in pickup basketball takes charges anyway. You know, and, uh, you, know you did you take know, a charge, you're calling a foul on it. So, we, we, well, they were officials, and we were playing to win. And I'm, and I, I am nothing if not a team player. So, so there's that. 
but, but, <laughs> <laughs> I love those shoes. You know, so you mentioned that, you know, you covered the 2009 Hall of Fame induction and kind of what that was like for you. Did you have any fun stories come out of that? Oh, well, there, there was one. Um, so obviously, you know, uh, guys who show up, it's obviously, you know, clearly not just the guys who are being inducted, but they're, but, you know, their teammates and friends and such. So uh, growing up a Knicks fan, I, I, you know, after the event, kind of the auditorium kind of clears out and uh, kind of was walking around, bumping into different people. And I saw Trent Tucker. So for Knicks fans of a certain age or NBA or basically basketball fans of any age, uh, in, an MLK, in a game on MLK Day, uh, Trent Tucker hit a, a shot to beat the Bulls, and there was one-tenth of a second left on the clock. Uh, for those of you know watching basketball now, we know that a, a shot is not permitted with one-tenth of a second. It is three-tenths of a second. And the reason why is because of the shot that Trent Tucker hit and converted, um, converted that shot. So there's the Trent Tucker rule. So I asked Trent, just like, hey, how many people come up to you and talk about that shot? And he goes, oh, my God, all the time. I said, does it bother you? He's like, no, no. And so kind of during the course of the evening, you know, they got cocktails and pasta d'oeuvres and things like that. And, it, you know, they used the entire first floor of the of the hall. Uh, I kind of bumped into him on Trent on two separate occasions. And we were talking about, you know, this and that small, small talk. And, this, and the, as the night went on, every time we bumped into one of the conversations, it got a little bit more in depth and a little bit more personal. And so now evening's over. Um, Hall of Fame is in Springfield, Mass. All the players were staying down in one of the casinos in, in Connecticut, Mohegan Sun or, or Foxwoods, I don't remember which. But it's clear across the state of Connecticut. So uh, Trent was looking for a ride back because the folks that he was going to ride with, not going to mention any names, Charles, Charles Barkley, uh, left him uh, behind. And so I wound up giving Trent a ride across the state of Connecticut. We started talking about uh, things that he was involved with, education and things like that. And that wound up getting, uh, I wound up being invited into uh, a golf event that he was having a couple weeks later in Minnesota. This is, this is like, you know, uh, late September. So, you know, try to finish this up quick, but basically I go to this golf event. Uh, I thought, well, I'm just going there. I'm just like, you know, covering that was my mindset. Um, and I get there and I realize that I'm being directed to the line to register where the players go. And I'm like, uh, what, what, what? So they basically stuck me with a, a foursome. I got out there. I had no business being out there, by the way. I got out there. I, I tore up the course in all the wrong ways. And the the other three guys in my group said, and don't worry about it. You're, you're not nearly as bad as the guy who was, uh, who was assigned to us last year. Turns out to be Kevin Garnett. So <laughs> I, was, uh, I love that. That's that, that. Yeah. At least I didn't hit a house. Apparently KJ hit a house with, with, with a, with a drive, but, um, Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so two things. One, I have to figure out how in the world you get invited to all these games because I can't even get the local neighborhood kids to invite me to a pickup game in my neighborhood. So that's <laughs> a problem. And number two, just because you, you watch this class get inducted. Uh, if you were going to do a three on three game between the 2009 class of Michael Jordan, David Robinson, and John Stockton opposite of Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and Tim Duncan, who are you taking in a three on three game? Wow. It's a tough one, right? I was, yeah, I was thinking about that as I was looking at those two classes. And, you know, they do that three-on-three tournament every summer now. Uh, what's it called? The big three. But yeah. that, that was tough for me. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you, got, you, got, you got inside presence. You got outside presence. You got a ball handler on both. Wow. All It'll right. Be one of I'm the best three-on-three three games ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I got beat to the fire. Um, um, 2020 class. 
Ooh. All right. All right. I like that. I also would take the 2020 class. So, yeah. you know, no, um, no judgment here at all. But all right, let's go ahead and welcome in the Hall of Famer. His name is Rudy Tomjanovich. Well, he's a two-time NBA champion, an Olympic gold medalist, and a five-time NBA All-Star. And he is one of the newest members elected to this year's Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class. He is the Hall of Famer, Coach Rudy T. Coach, first off, how does that sound? Have you come to terms with the fact that you're a Hall of Famer just yet? Um, absolutely not. It's going <laughs> to take, take a while. Uh, and... Uh, it's been a whirlwind, uh, you know, just such a, a great honor, the ultimate in our sport. And uh, I just feel very, very blessed and fortunate. Well, first off, congratulations to you. It's an honor well-deserved after a tremendous, not only playing career, but also coaching career as well. What were the moments like leading up to when you got the call and then take us through the call and then the immediate moments following? Well, uh, I didn't know exactly uh, what time the call was going to come. Uh, there was a you know a couple hour window, so uh, I wasn't uh, stressing about it. I was uh, I actually fell asleep and uh, had had the ringer on loud and and jumped up and oh yeah that's it that's it and uh, picked up the phone. It was John. Uh, the Leva, I believe, who is the uh, president of the uh, Hall of Fame, and I had talked to him before. He sounded exactly the same way he did before, so I there was suspense, you know. And he made some small talk, and then he finally says, "Well, this is a better call because you're in this year." And oh man, uh, all that tension just came just came flying out uh mainly you know yes because i felt good but it's not been an easy thing for the last several years to always have to feel that question why aren't you in there why this and why that and uh anyway it's happened and i couldn't be happier well coach we couldn't be happier for you as well you know and you look at this the class that you're going in with you know, it's probably going to be regarded as one of the greatest of all time when you think about the late, great Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan. How does it feel, you know, not only to have your own legacy in there, but to go along with some of your classmates as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and the wonderful thing when I reflect back on my career is that I got to be, uh, those players were a part of my life too. I got to coach Kobe there my last year in LA uh, for a half a season at least and it was a it was an unbelievable experience with him never seen a guy so driven uh, for excellence I mean you don't have to worry about uh, motivating Kobe Bryant he was he was always ready and and you could see why the guy won five championships and then uh, I had the uh, honor of uh, coaching Kevin Garnett in the 2000 Olympics, and he was a, a awesome player for us, but also a great leader. And it's not easy going out there when you're the favorite team, and and all the international teams are getting better, and it's a different game. And we pulled out 
you know, some tough wins there and, and brought the gold home. So, uh, and then Duncan uh, has been a rival, uh, you know, in Houston. Uh, I remember the first time I saw him and they just threw the ball into him and he caught it with such poise and looked uh, over his shoulder like all the great players uh, in the post do. And I got sick to my stomach because I said, we're going to have to deal with this guy. I, he knows how to play already. <laughs> and, and, and he surely did. Uh, we surely did as well. You know, uh, the, the thing that I think too, and I'm going to ask you about all that. We're, we're going to go into all of it as well. But, you know, before we get off the subject of just the initial induction, have you given any thought to who's going to be introducing you on that weekend in August? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got some ideas. Uh, I'm hoping, of course, to get Akeem Elijah on, but I don't know if he'll be in the country or or because he does also live in Jordan. I've already talked to Calvin Murphy, who was my roommate uh, for nine years, and uh, he's he's going to be one of the guys up there. So it could either be, be both those guys, and uh, yeah, I'll reflect on it some more. I still got time, but uh, I know you could have uh, more than one guy up there. Yeah, certainly. Calvin Murphy, also a close friend of yours. What did he say to you after it came down that you were getting inducted? Oh, he called and he was very uh, excited and he said, uh, you know, really happy. And I'll see his old family. It's, you know, nine years on the, the road with him. I uh, meet so many of his family and they're, they're close. They're in uh, Connecticut. So they're going to come up for that uh, celebration. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we're certainly all looking forward to it. Going back to Hakeem, you know, you won those two championships with Houston in 93, 94, 94, 95. What was it about him that made him special? And what was it about your relationship with him that has been so special all these years later? Well, first of all, you know, I knew Hakeem very well as a player coming into the league because he was right there in Houston. And, uh, we actually thought he was going to be more like Bill Russell and, uh, you know, that his contributions would be in, in uh, shot blocking, rebounding, and uh, things like that. Uh, and, you know, we thought he would score some points. But what happened is he, we got to see this wonderful soft touch and then the great footwork and, uh, you know, truly unique uh, style of play in there and, uh, you know, watched him grow. And what we did is we, we put in a different system on how we faced the floor and uh, made it uh, a, a lot easier for him to see uh, where the open man was. And, and to his credit, I have to say that he did the great scoring. He did all those other things, but what made him a champion is that he made those passes out. And, and the one that is very obvious is the one in New York where he passed the ball to Sam Cassell at the top of the key. And he makes a big three with a couple of uh, seconds left on the clock. Uh, so his passing uh, made him a completely uh, well-rounded player. Coach, this is Otto. Thank, thank you for joining us. And, and uh, 
Uh, congratulations, of course. Uh, so when you hear Dream Shake, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's that, that little stutter uh, thing where he's sort of on a swivel and, uh, you know, and, and he makes a quick spin and shoots a, a, a turnaround like with feathery soft touch. That's how I, that's how I remember it. You know, Coach, one thing I keep thinking back to is, you know, you were the coach of that 2000 Olympic team. And one thing that I really remember is, you, you know, you look at that Olympic squad and one of your fellow inductees is Kevin Garnett. He was on that team that you were coaching along with Larry Bird as one of your assistants. What was it about that team that was so special that helped carry them to a gold medal? And what are some of the stories that you can help share from that event? You know, that would have been 20 years ago this summer. Yeah. Well, I- well, first of all, the media uh, uh, did not give those guys a, a lot of respect. And they, uh, Shaq didn't come, Kobe didn't come, Duncan didn't, or David Robinson didn't come. And, uh, and you know, I used that uh, in my opening remarks to them when we got to Sydney you know, that uh, we are the best. Uh, I'm happy with the team. And, uh, but we have a, a place in the world and, and that is to show them how basketball is played. And, you know, they were catching up and it's a different style of basketball. Uh, and the things that a lot of people don't understand is that it's not the easiest uh, situation to be the the uh, you know the, the favorite, and uh, all these other teams are, are gunning for you, and it's in the back of the player's mind all the time. So nobody really talked about it, but I knew that those guys didn't want to be the first NBA team not to win a, a gold medal, and you know that happened uh, I think four years after me. And uh, uh, in fact, we had a very uh, tight situation against uh, Lithuania. And we were in the last minute of play, we were down by one and we fouled a three point shooter. And he was a good shooter, uh, but he only made one out of uh, one out of three. And uh, we went down and, uh, you know, had an offensive uh, possession where we missed the shot, but our guys were battling and uh, put the ball back in the basket. And and we wound up winning that game by getting, uh, you know, blue collar. And I remember going out uh, to congratulate McDice. McDice is the player who had fouled the three-point shooter. And uh, he's the guy who got the big rebound and helped us win that game. And when I finally got out there to him, he was so excited. He was hyperventilating, uh, you know, because that that burden of saying I don't want to be a part of the losing team was was off his back. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Coach, one thing I keep going back to, you know, by this point, you know, you'd already won two NBA titles prior to that stint with the international squad in two thousand. How much of an adjustment is that going from you know? coaching a traditional NBA team to now playing these international rules and then taking an Olympic squad over there. What are some of the hurdles? What are some of the challenging things that you go through when you're putting together that team? 
Well, uh, the game is uh, is done uh, uh, faster. It's not as long. You cannot just call a timeout. You got to request a timeout, and then the next dead ball you get. A, and uh, and you know, so we worked uh, uh, when I did the, the lockout team. Uh, we knew that we couldn't move the ball uh, if there were short seconds on the uh, on the clock. So we drilled on that, uh, trying to score within three seconds. And uh, in the game that we lost, uh, that we were hoping to get to the finals against Russia, uh, they scored, and their player grabbed the ball. Uh, you know, it went through the basket, grabbed the ball, and then ran with it and put it down in the middle of the lane. And our guy quickly picked it up and threw it, and we got into our drill, and we threw the ball down, and one of our players did make the uh, shot, but it was a split second too late. So, you know, having things like that uh, already in the can where your players know uh, what we're doing in those situations, we have to work on all that kind of stuff. Coach, one of one of the things that that I always look forward to with the NBA Finals is the um, is the montage that that uh, that that airs uh, leading up to the game, and that that don't underestimate the heart of a champion. Talk talk about that that line, what you remember about that line, and and how you feel it is endured all these years later. Yeah, well, it wasn't an uh, original idea. Uh, that uh, it was stated in the, uh, the series before the finals, and it was uh, Kevin Johnson who uh, who said it after we beat uh, those guys. He said the uh, the Houston Rockets have the heart of a champion. Uh, you think he got them down, but they never give up, and they keep coming back. And then Charles said, uh, they're like a, a Texas roach. You step on them and you think you killed it, but they keep crawling <laughs> away. And so uh, what happened is in that second championship year, we made a trade. We traded Otis Thorpe for, for uh, uh, Clyde Drexler. And uh, I had never seen other coaches and other uh, people critique a a trade you know that year right away you know in fact i would never do it i would never uh say you know san antonio boy they screwed up and made that uh trade but they did so when i said there were doubters all along the way that's uh where that phrase came from and uh, and a lot of people do say never underestimate a, the heart of a champion, which is sort of a, uh, sort of just a statement, but it was, it was sort of a scolding thing that I was saying, like, hey, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. And uh, anyway, I never thought uh, it would go on for so long, you know, it, that, it, that statement. No, it, it is it is one of it was one of the joys of of, uh, of leading into the finals every every, every year. Uh, so so sticking with with ninety five uh, for ju- for just a second. So David Robinson is MVP, and Akeem tortured him in the playoffs that year. 
So did he play angry against the Admiral? No, I don't think so. I don't think, uh, I think he was a very focused and uh, you know, on his game uh, to the utmost. I mean, he, he was in the zone where everything was working. And David, David Robinson is a tough matchup. David Robinson has the, the quickness, the length, and he was cat-like uh, with his shot blocking. And boy, Akeem, it just uh, it was just amazing how he got it going. And then all the fakes and the multiple moves, you know, the the move to the middle and fake step under a finger roll, and it was just it was just awesome to see. You know, Coach, uh, real quick on, on that 94-95 team, you know, I live in the Orlando area, worked for the Magic for five years, and, you know, the, the only thing this town talks about was that 94-95 Magic team that not only had Penny Hardaway, but also Shaquille O'Neal, and the way that series was set up was kind of this superstar series. What was it about that particular championship and about beating that Magic team, you know, besides it being your second championship, was it that was so special? Well, let me say this. Those guys were good. That was a heck of a, a strong team, and they whipped us during the regular season. So, uh, you know, us uh, getting to sweep a team like that, just I don't know how the heck that happened because they were so doggone good. But hearing some of the statements after the fact is that after we – somehow pulled that thing off and it was an unbelievable comeback and they had to help us greatly and when Nick uh, Nick Anderson missed those four free throws we had the opportunity uh, and Kenny Smith made it one of the biggest shots in rocket history uh, because I think getting us into that that uh, overtime and, and the key made a great tip in to win that game uh, they were so young uh, Orlando was that the image of us as champions, uh, they just, I thought it psyched them out a little bit. Uh, but those games were, you know, uh, very competitive. We had a hard time guarding Shaq as, as they did with the team. They had so many shooters and, you know, playmakers on that team. And I, I had tremendous respect for them. And, you know, they had the lead in the fourth quarter and I think uh, uh, three of those four games. Uh, so it was closer than, than the result. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I've talked to Nick about those free throws numerous times and how he wishes he could have just hit a few more. Uh, you know, Coach, you know, one thing we were talking about before we um, got on air was about the fact that you are the first member of the Hall of Fame class to be from Michigan and to represent Big Blue. What does that mean to you? And, you know, you know what was that like for you during your career? Well, yeah, uh, first of all, I was shocked that there wasn't another Wolverine in there because there have been so many good basketball players come out of Michigan. And the guy I thought might be in there was uh, Cassie Russell, who was my hero when I was in high school and the reason that I went to the University of Michigan. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it was a surprise and, and that's just a, a great thing because Michigan has been a, a good basketball school for many, many years. So, uh, that's just another little tidbit that I didn't even know. 
Well, Coach, thank you so much for for uh, for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to hear so much about about your career and your perspectives. And congratulations again on uh, on on the election to to the to the Hall of Fame. Uh, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to be with you. That was dope. Well, that was great to have Rudy T on, Hall of Famer. Uh, so now, Aaron, um, we usually start the show with with something like catching up and light, but we didn't do that this time. So we're going to end the show with this. So tell me, what are you what are you watching? What have you done fun this week? What's been new this week? So Otto, one thing I've never told you is that I am a wrestling. Um, fanatic I, I guess you know uh I, I enjoy it i enjoy professional wrestling uh and this past weekend was wrestlemania 36 now if you don't know wrestlemania was actually supposed to take place in tampa this year it had been in orlando a few years ago so i had gone to that one and i've been to a few of them uh this one was obviously a little bit different currently right now the wwe is the only event that is continuing to push forward with any kind of live event so it was odd to see a, a two-day show that spanned over seven hours worth of content in an empty arena with, you know, and part of the joy and part of the fun of wrestling has always been the fans' interactions and the way that fans kind of um, have a say in the way that the match goes. And it, it was just odd, and it made me think, you know, at the end of the day that eventually, maybe it's a month, two months down the road, this is what our professional sports are going to look like. And, um, you know, is this maybe a blueprint for how we get there down the road? But regardless of that, you know, it was kind of nice just having something on the TV that I enjoy watching that isn't eight or 10 episodes worth of Netflix content. So that was refreshing in that regard. What about so you? How, so, how, well, look real quick, how did it play? How did you feel? Did you, do you feel it came across um, without fans or? or, or? So it's it's odd because they've been doing these shows for the last few weeks, really. And so they have some kind of a blueprint, but it's still it's the whole idea of professional wrestling is that it is a spectacle. And, you know, it's not so much the matches, I think, that people enjoy, but it's the entrances and it's the over the top attitudes and it's the egos and, you know, the things that wrestlers portray. And in an event like this, especially one that's WrestleMania, that is supposed to essentially be their version of the Super Bowl, right? Like they typically do them in these big sporting events or big sporting stadiums. And it was held in their small performance center here in Orlando. And so it looked small. It looked sad. But at the end of the day, you know, it did put a smile on my face and you know, because I still enjoy watching The Undertaker and The Undertaker, who is now in his 50s, had a match. You know, John Cena still appeared on the WrestleMania card, which was a lot of fun. So in that regard, you know, it was uplifting. But in the same realm of things, it was sad because something that you look forward to and something that is so big and grand had basically been watered down to bare bones, which was very sad. Mm-hmm. Well, what about well. Yeah. What about you? Any, any anything fun you've been watching? Anything fun you've been listening to? Two words: Tiger King. Oh, you went there. You went there. I You've have, officially joined America. I, You've joined I us joined, all. I have joined America, and and it and it feels good to 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 lather in in, in America. So, uh, what um, what did you think? What were your initial reactions? Without spoiling it for our listeners. So so yeah, one of our listeners who's our producer who who's who's just catching up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say. Like hooked from the start. Um, I just want to, you know, without getting into too many details, you know, Joe Exotic. What? I mean, it's just he's it, a real it, life caricature. 
Oh my there's god! No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That guy cannot actually exist in real life. Yeah, there's just there's just so much to 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 kind of unpack there, uh, and I'm going to choose not to. So 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 on on that note, um, you know, we're we're going to we're going to sign off for the week. And and one final reminder, um, everybody, you know, continue to stay safe, wash your hands, social distancing, all the rest. And a big shout out to all of the first responders, doctors, nurses. Uh, folks who work in supermarkets. My daughter, Samantha, I love you. She works in uh, Stop and Shop on Long Island. Uh, keep doing what you do. Keep everybody safe. And uh, for that, uh, that is uh, that is going to be it for this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I want to thank our producers, uh, Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein, as always, and our editor, Ben Wolf. And just to give some love to some of the other shows here on Pure Hoops Media, Mike Weiss had a fantastic show with Jamal Crawford on Monday. That one is definitely worth taking a listen to. Full Court Press with Fans and Adams drops on Tuesday. We are here every Wednesday for you as well. And then Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt uh, originates each Thursday. And then it's our flagship show, the Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman drops each Friday. Just a general reminder, rate, subscribe, and if you guys do enjoy our shows, make sure you share them with all of your friends. You guys have no idea how far that goes for us and everybody who helps make these shows possible. But until next week, guys, enjoy. Captain Shoots 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.